Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the global business radio show for entrepreneurs. Doesn't matter where you are in the world, we're listened to in over 70 countries, and we are broadcasting today from the wonderful Gold Coast in Australia. I've been here for a week for one of my clients, GoTo Rewards, who enjoyed a tremendous launch yesterday. We uh, we owned the news yesterday. We're one of the two or three lead items on every television news, radio news, page three stories in the newspapers today, and... Uh, We've done very well. We're currently downloading about 2,600 app downloads a day, which is not bad for a start. Now, if you're listening for the very first time, this is the radio program where we tell it exactly the way it is, doing everything we can to assist entrepreneurs by bringing you the latest information every week on what is happening in business throughout the planet. We're very proud of the fact that we're the number one radio show globally for entrepreneurs, and we thank each and every one of you for listening. We really do appreciate it. We're also very pleased to announce that as from next week's show, we have a new naming rights sponsor for the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management, who have a great office in the Empire State Building in New York, are coming on board as our new sponsor. And this vote of confidence from such a great institute is fantastic. And we welcome the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management very enthusiastically. And we look forward to to telling you what they do and how you can benefit from being a member over the next few weeks. So let's just have a look at some of the week's news. The arrival of the Internet of Things marks a major change in the global consumer economy. Internet connections will be built into a massive quantity of new products. Almost everything you can think of will be, um, will be connected, from air conditioners to light bulbs to security alarms to fridges to you name it, everything will be connected. And these will all be controlled through apps and websites and they will feed data into the cloud. Startups specialised in home automation, established uh, consumer electronics giants, the large Silicon Valley-based tech companies, they're all poised for a huge battle over this new consumer space, sometimes also referred to as the connected life market. Now, it's very difficult to overestimate the importance of the Internet of Things because it will come to encompass all manner of products that we don't normally think of as high-tech, such as ultraviolet filtering window shades and door locks. So almost everything in your house will be wired. I think, uh, as we reported a few weeks ago, uh, hackers have already worked out how to get into your computers by hacking through your refrigerators. So (laughs) it's a hacker's paradise. Now, in order to define the Internet of Things... It's helpful to think about Internet of Things devices as it 
sort of a new ice category layer that exists as the connection between the formerly static, non-connected world and the world of PCs, tablets and smartphones. For example, a connected washer and dryer unit can report things like energy usage and cycle settings to a smartphone app. Now, Machina defines connected life market revenue as the sum of all of the revenue accruing from the sale of connected devices and all related services. They see revenue from the Internet of Things reaching $2.5 trillion in just the next six years. So $2.5 trillion brand new business within the next six years. And the potential size of the market, it's just bloody mind-boggling. When you include all and home appliances or products, your insurance company issued car monitoring de- monitoring devices to allow motorists to pay insurance only for the amount of driving they do. I mean, you've just got the tip of the iceberg. Quite amazing. Speaking of amazing, and just getting off the topic for now, I was talking to a counsellor up here at the launch, and they are putting units into the ground where there used to be parking meters and the units will read the cars and decide, you know, how long you've been staying there, whether you've fed the meter because you don't have a meter to feed. So all this information will be relayed directly to, I guess, the um, parking cops. So um, that's another joy to look forward to. Now, the large manufacturers like... LG, which is the Korean manufacturer of home entertainment systems and appliances, and um, Friedrich, maker of AC units. I mean, they're already really well advanced on all of this. But there's startups. There's a whole host of startups that are now making a grab at this market. And it's a perfect market for startups because they're so flexible, they can quick. And at the moment... um, there's a, a, a lot of ways that this can be entered into and startups, a lot of startups haven't, are going to change the business model totally, I would think. Smart Things, for example, they've, they've built an entire business model around easily deployable sensors, monitors and apps that allow consumers to run everything in their home through their smartphone. So you can run absolutely everything just using your smartphone. And it raised $3 million in a seed round late last year But we also expect the big guys, the Apples and the Googles and others, to get very heavily involved in the Internet of Things. A $2.5 trillion market is just far too big for them to ignore. Now, the Internet of Things may seem esoteric, but it's really relatively simple. Devices will contain three ingredients. So it's just simply an Internet connection, either the itself or a base station, a sensor which connects, collects incoming data and a processor because just like any other computing device, things gadget will have a chip that passes information. So it's really quite simple. They need to be energy efficient, reliable over long time periods, they need to work well in varied environments, even outdoors and most importantly, this 
will hacking. That is going to be a nightmare. And there's another industry for startups, protecting the Internet of Things from hacking. Now, the Internet of Things, when you think about it, sounds like it's somewhere in the future, but it's here, and it's here right now. So while we, you know, smart things um, that I mentioned earlier that let you control household objects like lights and door locks over the Internet is making a bigger push to bring hardware companies and developers onto its platform. This week, they announced several product manufacturers have formally joined the SmartThings ecosystem. They launched a new iPhone app that will make it easier to control all of the connected stuff that you have throughout your house. And SmartThings is simply a platform to connect everything in your home and rather than a one-off product. So to get started, you, you simply buy the SmartThings hub there are already a bunch of smart things compatible devices and the, the, um, the company just announced today formal partnerships with some app and hardware makers like the Fitness Tracker from Jawbone, lighting control company Leviton and Life360, which is an app that helps you track family members. That's a cool idea. Um, they also announced a formal app review process so developers can create new actions for smart thing devices and publish them through your Smart Things app. It'll sort of be like a, um, I guess, an app store on your iPhone, but for objects in your home. The um, the Nest, which you might remember, Google bought for three point two billion dollars, and it's perhaps the buzziest company in the connected home space. It makes its own connected devices like thermostats and smoke detectors, and it only allows third parties limited access to the platform, where SmartThings strategy is to allow any company that wants to build smart devices enter the platform and share the revenue. This week, you know, I think this week's announcements gives us, you know, they give us a, a glimpse of how they plan to com- uh, convince more manufacturers and app developers to come on board. Now, SmartThings haven't said how many users it has, but it did tout a bunch of stats about its current customers along with today's announcement. The company says SmartThing users open the app an average of four times a day, and the average user now has at least 10 connected devices in their home. So users got 10 things connected through smart things in every home. They've raised over 15 million bucks so far, so they're, they're well on the way. Another thing that was interesting that came out this week is that um, Cisco CEO and I guess walking global economic uh, barometer, he always seems to be pretty close on the money, John Chambers, believes that the rapid pace of change in the technology industry is going to create a bloodbath for the major tech pl- players. That His words, not mine. A bloodbath for the major tech players. But not only that, it's going to be a bloodbath for every other company on the planet. John said, you are going to see a brutal, very brutal consolidation of the IT industry. We're out of the top five players, only two and perhaps three will be meaningful in just five years. We know 
we have to change. And if you're, um, if you're any sort of a company, you have to be prepared to change very quickly. He suggested the top players in the industry are Cisco, IBM, HP, Microsoft, and Oracle. Although he doesn't predict which of those five are going to go by the wayside, he did say how disastrous, and I think this is a bit of a clue, he said it was absolutely disastrous that Hewlett-Packard and IBM haven't had any revenue growth for three years. So I think you can pretty much assume that what John Chambers was saying is that Hewlett-Packard and IBM ain't going to be here in just two or three years' time. Now, if you're like me and you've grown up on IBM forever, you know, it used to be an expression, you never go wrong buying an IBM. Well, I guess the problem is that nobody's buying an IBM. (laughs) Microsoft is actually doing the best. They've had 14 quarters of 3% or better growth. So Microsoft's doing well. Chambers noted that most of Cisco's original competitors have died over the years and subtly hinted that nearly all of its current competitors will not be around in 2018. Now, one company doing more to shake up Cisco and its business model than any other is VMware. VMware is trying to forever alter the network industry by selling network software that runs on cheap commodity hardware a concept called software-defining networking. This has the power to greatly erode Cisco's 60%-plus profit margins and maybe put Cisco also on that endangered species list. Although Chambers says, I'm not the least bit worried about the VMware threat, saying that Cisco will very quickly crush it. In reality, I guess that um, it's highly unlikely that Cisco will crush VMware. It probably won't die, but um, probably Cisco will come up with its own SDN products that will sell well in the market. And uh, that market probably won't be in full swing for a few years yet anyway. But just as an aside, and interestingly, um, while Cisco and VMware at each other's throats, they're also close partners in a billion-dollar joint company called VCE. They're in it together. So it's kind of a love-hate relationship. On one hand, you're firing barbs at each other. On the other hand, you're working together to make money. So Chambers also predicts a general bloodbath for all businesses everywhere. He notes that only 24% of the companies on the Fortune 500 25 years ago are still on that list today. He also warned that every company in this world has to be realistic. Out of the private sector companies, 87% will have a major financial shortfall in the next 15 years and only 10% will come back. So he's predicting that in the next 15 years, 90% of the private sector companies in the world will fail. Well, that's not much different than what the reality is today. Something like 97% of all companies fail within 10 years. The companies that will survive are the ones that can cope with the rapid change of pace of change much better than those that fail. It was also announced during the week that uh, mobile now makes up 12% of all e-commerce sales. Mobile continues to grow its share of total online shopping and uh, it's um, 
share ticked up to 12%. So 12% of all e-commerce is now done online. I'm actually surprised because I thought it would be um, considerably more than that. But mobile at 12% of all e-commerce sales. And mobile commerce eclipsed 7.6 million for the quarter, growing 26% compared to the same quarter last year. Mobile grew significantly faster than total e-commerce sales during the period. E-commerce sales grew just 15% during the quarter compared to 18% during the first quarter of last year. And I, um, I mean that I'm here on the Gold Coast in Australia, which is absolutely beautiful. Um, similar climate, um, but it's, it's, it's really lovely. And if you haven't put um, the Gold Coast of Australia on your bucket list, it's very cool. Um, I mentioned earlier in the show we, um, what it does, and we'll be launching in Los Angeles uh, within the next few months. It gives the equivalent of $4.25 off every gallon of fuel you buy, so which means in Los Angeles and throughout the United States, you can give away fuel through this unique uh, program. We will be able to actually give away fuel. Uh, we've got a great strategy, and uh, the result has just been phenomenal over here. So watch out, Los Angeles. We are on our way. Um, just by going out and buying things that you normally buy, you end up getting your gas for free. I mean, how bloody good is that? Christ. Even I join up. I'm a mean bitch. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, and the whole reason we're here is to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you have a question about any aspect of business, please don't hesitate to email me. You get me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer you on air or we'll email you directly, one or the other. We're the number one radio show for business, for entrepreneurs in the world. And the world's a big place. So we thank you for listening and we thank you for giving us such great support. After the break, I'm going to be talking with Jim Beach. Jim's got an amazing resume and he's a great guy. At the age of 25, he formed American Computer Experience, which grew to be the largest technology training company for children. He taught international entrepreneurship at Georgia State University and he's lectured at Colorado, Texas, Utah, Hawaii, Japan, Korea, India, Dubai, and Egypt universities. He then established several successful businesses before he founded the School for Startups, which has taught over 7,000 people to be low-risk entrepreneurs. And uh, his book, School for Startups, was published a couple of years ago, Jim's been called the Simon Cowell of Venture Capital by CNN. I'm not sure whether that means that he's a loudmouth and whatever or whether he's just bloody good at what he does. But no, I know the guy. He's a good guy. Um, He's very measured and a very, very, very great trainer. 
You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, and I will be back with Jim Beach in just a moment. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is a show that's totally focused on helping entrepreneurs, early stage companies, and SMEs to be more successful. Every week, we interview people who make a difference who are put out there, out there changing the world. People who are positive and vibrant, and today's no exception. As you know, if you listen to this show a lot, I'm always talking about the future of this country is entrepreneurs, and we need to encourage and help entrepreneurs. They're going to solve the problems. The political parties aren't going to solve the problems. We need more Facebooks. 540,000 jobs as a result of Facebook, and they're today's jobs, not yesterday's jobs. So my first guest today has an amazing resume. At the age of 25, Jim Beach formed American Computer Experience, which he grew to be the largest technology training company for children in America. Jim taught international entrepreneurship at Georgia State University and has lectured at universities in Colorado, Texas, Utah, Hawaii, Japan, Korea, India, Dubai, and Egypt. Jim then established several very successful businesses before he founded the School for Startups, which has taught over 7,000 people how to be low-risk entrepreneurs. The book School for Startups was published last year, and has been a huge success. Jim was called the Simon Cowell of Venture Capital by CNN. I think that's partly a good thing, partly maybe not a good thing, <laughs> but, I think, <laughs> but I think they meant it in the, in the right way. Jim, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm not sure what CNN meant by that, but there it is. Well, the, the new book came out last week that shows that he's um, extremely extravagant, you know, with private jets and Ferraris and, and Lamborghinis and Rolls Royces. Is that you, Jim? 
No, I think CNN was referring to the fact that uh, I can look at a small business and hopefully have an idea whether it's going to work or not, like he can do with the musician. Maybe yeah. that's what they're referring to. I hope so. Um, what does the average person think that um, entrepreneurship is? Well, you know, I think if you go out on the street and ask 100 people to define it, 99 are going to throw out words like creativity and risk-taking and passion and things like that. And I believe pretty strongly that that definition is the reason so many people are failing to become entrepreneurs. You know, Bob, 72% of Americans say they wish they were entrepreneurs. That's more than the percent of people who wish that they were rock stars or, you know, sports figures. But only 10% of Americans actually are entrepreneurs. And it's because we're afraid of risk. We don't think we're creative. We hear all of these things that prevent us from being an entrepreneur, especially creativity and risk. But you know, I don't think that there's a shortage of ideas. As a matter of fact, I see tons of business opportunities every day. And I don't really think about risk that much either. Every entrepreneur that I know, successful entrepreneur, is a risk avoider, not a risk taker. And so I hope that we can change somewhat the definition of entrepreneurship so people realize that you don't have to be creative to be a very successful entrepreneur, and you really don't have to take that much risk if you don't want to. Okay, so let's take them one at a time. What role does creativity play? Surely you need to be creative to come up with a cut-through idea that... um, that isn't just another me too so surely that takes a lot of creativity well sure but what's wrong with a me too you know we have Hyatt and Hilton and McDonald's and Burger King and Adidas and Nike you know so many people want to be an entrepreneur want to be a business owner but they think there's something wrong with opening a dry cleaning there's nothing wrong with that I encourage people to do that you know and if it means you know being uh, unemployed or starting a business let's choose starting a Me Too business. Um, I very much embrace innovation. You know, if I say, let's start a bookstore, well, I then want you as an entrepreneur to make a list of things that define what a successful bookstore is and improve on every single one of those. You make the parking lot better, make the entrance better. All of the things that you can do to improve uh, your bookstore, you do. But I don't want you to think, I'm not creative, therefore I can't start a business. Go on Google, type in free business ideas. There are thousands of ideas out there. So let's not allow, Bob, creativity to be an excuse for inertia. You know, that's my my problem is that people say, I'm not creative, therefore I can't be an entrepreneur. That's not true. That's a good point because I must admit – you caught me because when I think of an entrepreneur, I think of somebody who's come up with the latest whiz-bang app or the latest whiz-bang something. I was forgetting about the average entrepreneur who who does open a dry cleaner or a bookshop or a deli or a something. That's um, I think that's a very, very important point. Yeah, you know, I'm not... I'm not- Bill Gates and uh, Steve Jobs, I can't come up with those kind of great apps. I'm not going to invent the next Facebook, but I don't want to work for the man or for 
you know, a big company. I like my personal freedom. I like wearing blue jeans and t-shirts and uh, <laughs> taking uh, the afternoon at two o'clock to go see my children play uh, soccer if I want to. Absolutely. You know, that to me is what's important. And so uh, I don't care what kind of business you're doing. You know, it doesn't have to be sexy to provide you with a very sexy lifestyle. Uh, you know, I around the corner, I just drove past uh, a, a gas station here in town, and it's on one of the nicer corners, and I was talking about the owner yesterday. The owner lives on the nicest street in town, three houses down from the governor's mansion, and his job is a gas station attendant. Right. You know, there's nothing cool about being a gas station attendant except for the fact that he makes a year in profit. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's very cool. So how important is minimizing risk? You, you talk about um, uh, keeping risk to a minimum, but isn't the old ad, adage, the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward true? Don't we need to have to take risk to, to be really disruptive? Uh, no. You know, you look at the Fortune 500, most of them were started with under $5,000 of startup capital. Uh, big businesses don't necessarily require a lot of money. But that's another misconception is, you know, a starting entrepreneur shouldn't try to start a big business. They shouldn't start a cell phone company. Why don't they practice first with a smaller business that they, you know, let's say $5,000, and that's an upper limit. I'm not going to spend any more than $5,000 because that's all the risk that I can be comfortable with. Well, in that situation, Thousands and millions of great businesses can be started. People think I need a million dollars to start my business. Well, that's a misconception. In the book, we have 12 stories of people that started cool, great businesses for under $5,000. There's a beer company in there. There's a man that owns 12 restaurants now. He started for under $5,000. There's a young lady. Hewlett Packard started with under $5,000. Yep. Exactly. Uh, the idea that you need a lot of money is a myth. You don't have to do it. You can start almost every business with under $5,000. And if you can't, then maybe you shouldn't be starting that business. Maybe you should be starting a smaller, uh, less risky business. And so what we try to encourage our students to do is to say, I'm going to actively fight against risk. I'm going to do everything I can to minimize the risk so that when I start this business, it's not risky, it's a no-brainer. And you can do things, uh, you know, for example, get contracts in advance. Um, we have one story in the book about a guy named Randy Brown. He worked for a law firm making $35,000 a year as an office manager. He quit on Friday, but had pre-negotiated that on Monday he would still be their office manager, but with no benefits as an outsourced employee. Well, then that gave him the freedom to go and do that for other law firms, and now he works for five law firms and makes $200,000 a year and has three employees that help him. So there's no risk in that either. Yeah. Um, So in your opinion, what's the most important element of entrepreneurship? Uh, getting off of the sofa, turning the television off, and simply raising your hand up high and saying, I am going to be one of the people that make a difference in America, that rebuild America, and I'm going to be the one that 
you know, works hard 20 hours a day if that's what it takes. Yeah. I don't believe there's anything special about entrepreneurship except the ability and the desire to work really, really hard. I think the other important point uh, that I talk about a lot, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, is the need for mentors and around to surround yourself with people who have been there, done that, and can help you avoid all the pitfalls that there are for early stage businesses. Um, uh, oh yeah, I'm a huge fan of that. Yeah, mentors have been a great help to me over my career, and uh, I urge people that are starting up in business to to get mentors. Um, you sound like a pretty good mentor. Well, uh, you know, that's one of the things we're trying to do. The School for Startups, the book, it also comes with a learning center, about 80 hours of online video, and that's free if you buy the book. Right. So we're trying very hard to provide the infrastructure to help people that have never been entrepreneurs avoid a lot of the big mistakes that I made. Yep, me too. Well, how important is passion? Um, I've had... I'd, got two good friends that are major VCs, Tim Draper, who uh, responsible for Hotmail and Skype and a number of others, and Jay Toro, who calls himself the most entrepreneurial VC in America, who, great guy. And they both said that, in their opinion, passion is the most important element by far. What do you think about that? Well, I'm going to 100% disagree. Uh, I'm sorry. I am passionate about woodworking. I would love to be a really beautiful woodworker, but it's just not that good. The the wood, the furniture I build is not that beautiful. Uh, I'm also passionate about my family and my three beautiful children and my wonderful wife, and I'm passionate about spending time with them. I'm passionate about controlling my own destiny. I'm passionate about working for myself. I think that's enough. I'm passionate about the process and the freedom that it allows me, I'm not passionate about a thing, a product, or a service. And I don't understand it when people are passionate about a product. You're telling me that you would rather be at your business than at home with your family? Passion in my life is reserved for my family. And I work really hard so that my family and I can go to Disney at 2 o'clock on the afternoon if we want. And I would suggest to people that if you're waiting to be an entrepreneur because of your passion, you're failing yourself. Don't wait for your passion to make you rich. You might have to do something that's outside of your passionate. I cannot make a fortune as a woodworker. I've had to realize that. And I can make you know, more money doing other things, which allows me to have more time to woodwork and to be with my family and to go to Disney World. So I don't want entrepreneurs to wait on their passion to go get started. Uh, It's wonderful if you can be passionate about what you're selling, but let's not wait. Let's not stay on the sidelines simply because you don't love what you could be good at selling. You know, I want you to go be an entrepreneur. I think there is a downside too in that you get too passionate about things, you become less objective. And the last thing you want to be if you're an entrepreneur and in small business is less objective. That's the very last thing you want to be. And I'm sure that those uh, VCs that you mentioned, Draper, uh, they're not going to want you to be so passionate that you're not going to be willing to sell the business in the end. Sure. You know, sure. it's not a yeah. child. It's something that's designed to be sold. And 
uh, I did have a business that I was passionate about, and it really hurt me when I sold it. I don't want to do that again. Yeah. So and I also, I don't want people to wait on the sidelines. I want them to go become an entrepreneur, even if it's something you're not passionate about, because being passionate about the process is enough. Okay, final question. Could entrepreneurship be taught? Um, my son's just joined the new entrepreneurship program at Georgetown. Um in Washington DC can, can entrepreneurship be taught I really believe it can be you know I I think entrepreneurs want there to be something special about it like a, a license that you have to have or a special character trait you have to have mm-hmm. but I don't believe that I think anyone that's willing to work hard can be successful that's all it takes is a desire to say I'm going to be the one that works 20 hours a day that's all Jim, thank you very, very much for your time. I know we've had a struggle to get this scheduled because of your hectic schedule. That's a good thing. Now, if you'd like to know more about Jim Beach, go to www.schoolforstartups.com. I've had a good look at it. I think it's sensational. And uh, I wish it was around when I was 20 years younger, although Jim will say there's no no age limit for this. But um, www.schoolforstartups.com. And I'll be back with more of the program in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show. I'm coming to you this week from the wonderful Gold Coast in Australia. And we really appreciate you sending in so many emails, they come to us from all over the world and we enjoy answering them for you every week. That interview with Jim raised some interesting questions, I think. Um, you know, what makes an entrepreneur? Um, and what makes an entrepreneur successful? 97% of all entrepreneurs fail and yet to be an entrepreneur, you've got to have initiative, you have to drive, You certainly have to be really passionate about what you do. 
Most entrepreneurs that I know work hard because they want the freedom and they want the choice. But I think that um, far too few entrepreneurs do enough thinking about their product, the opportunities, the market, pricing, um, acquisition cost of clients, all of those things I think um, entrepreneurs fall down. So what do you think? Drop me a note and ask me an answer. Give me your thoughts about why what makes a good entrepreneur? Why do only 3% of them succeed? And it's not about money. You know, I often have people say to me, geez, I've had this fantastic idea and if I only had the money, it's not about the money. If you've got a great idea and you're enthusiastic and you knock on enough doors, you will get the money. Money's not an issue. And, uh, you know, if you can't articulate to a potential on a, uh, investor why they should invest in you, well, then you shouldn't get the money. And uh, your idea may be not that good. I mean, I have people come to me, I get about a dozen approaches a day from all sorts of entrepreneurs, and, uh, you know, 90% of the ideas are just bloody stupid. I, I mean, it, it just amazes me. Something else that amazes me, just up here on the Gold Coast, they've just spent billions of dollars putting through a wonderful um, light rail system. And they have these wonderful trains, I guess they're trains, carriages anyway, and they have been trialling them for nearly six months, running a full schedule every day, up and down, from um, Southport down to the casino with no passengers. They're just testing the trains. So they're running a full schedule, a train every 15 minutes or whatever it is, for bloody six months. I mean, what an extraordinary waste of money. As you can probably tell, it's government operated. It was private enterprise operated. They would have tested it the first day and they probably would have had passengers on it in the second week and uh, went out to a function the other night. The trains were going, or the light rail was going past every four minutes or something. Beautiful carriages, all empty, while there was 150 people waiting in cab ranks. Uber, Australia is waiting for you. This has got to be a great market for anybody who's entrepreneurial because it is pretty set in its ways. Now, most of our emails come from the United States. Most of our listeners, about 80%, I think, are in the United States. But um, we try to acknowledge our listeners in other countries. So if you're listening to us from outside the United States and you send us an email with a business question, we will answer it. Um, either on air or to you directly, but we try to answer it on air because we like to um, share the love around. Um, first email this week comes from Ivan Jefferson of Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. I'm not sure where that is. I know where Pennsylvania is. I'm not sure where Elizabethtown is. Dear Bob, I love your show. 
and I actually have a couple of your books. I have Complex Marketing Made Simple. Boy, that's going back a while. And I also have Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets. And if I send it to you, will you autograph it for me? Absolutely. Um, we will. We have your email address. We will send you an address to uh, send it to me. And if you send it to me with a note, then certainly I will love to sign it and get it back to you. Ivan goes on to say, on CNN the other day, they said that people were more productive at some times of the day than others. Is that true or is it just media BS? And I presume that BS stands for bullshit. However, I'm not sure. Ivan, not all hours in the day are created equal. Some hours produce much more net value than others. I know that sounds really strange, but it does. And... If you look at the most effective executives and leaders and business owners, um, most of them are very careful with their time. Now, this includes when they make appointments, which appointments they set and which ones they don't, um, who they, when they belong to outside organisations, uh, when they set those, when they go, what meetings they go to and what they don't. And they're very careful about the activities that they fill their day with. So if you go and look at your um, appointment calendar for last week, every day there was probably a couple of hours of really high productivity. So every day you put in two really powerful, positive, hard work hours that really got some results. Two hours isn't much when most of us are working 8 or 10, 12 hours a day. So let's look at some of the steps that you can take to make the most of each hour in every day. You should, first of all, rank your activities over the course of the week into three categories. High value category, low value, and no value. I mean, it's amazing how much stuff we do that's of absolutely no value whatsoever to your business. And the value standard is what produces value, not to you, but to your customer. You know, never forget, and I think one of the problems that a lot of entrepreneurs have is that they think the most important thing is their product or their service. And it isn't. The most important thing to your business is your customer. Your customers first, second, and third. So high value is high value to your customer, not make, what makes you feel good. Um, most of us do not think about our jobs as to what we get done, but what we do. But highly um, successful people and highly productive people think in terms of outcomes first and activities second. So outcomes is the only thing that's really important, and that's outcomes, again, to the customer. So you need to decide what is valuable. So getting to a place where you spend 100% of your time in the high-value category is probably unrealistic. But uh, what if you could move one hour per day out of no value, and that should be pretty easy because a fair bit of your day is no value, and move it up into low value? and then take an hour from low value and move it up to high value. 
you would be trading up the value curve in a massive way over the course of the year. So the first thing to do is cut out all the time wasters. Let's look at your low value and no value categories. These are probably things that, like generating reports, meetings that are regularly scheduled for an hour that can probably take five minutes, clerical work that you do, um, sending out emails which are mostly past the monkey, um, mandatory events that you have to go to that, you know, might be nice to go to but don't actually produce any value for the company. There's lots of that stuff. So you want to trade those things for the types of activities that generate revenue or provide better service to your customers or your prospects. So take a look at every one of those low or no value activities and determine if you can do one of the following. You can either consolidate them or automate them. Maybe you could delegate them or maybe just plain eliminate them. Just get rid of them. So look at all the low-value activities that you do and either consolidate them, automate them, delegate them or eliminate them. You'll find you've got so much more time. You know, weekly staff meetings. A lot of weekly staff meetings go on and on and on and you can probably achieve the same result in 30 minutes. I often say to people, look, um, when Khrushchev and Kennedy met for the first time, they discussed every problem in the world and the meeting lasted for 45 minutes. You don't need to have a staff meeting that goes on and on and on for hours because you achieve absolutely zero. So make sure that every minute in those staff meetings count and they can be shrunk down. Reports can be made available online. You know, a lot of people still um, hand generate them, print them and distribute them. That's all just a waste of time. So look at all those low value and no value hours. Get rid of all the things you can and make them high value. The only way that you can get your most out of your time is through diligence. You have to track how you're spending your time on a weekly basis. You'd be surprised if you actually tracked what you were doing, how much time you're actually wasting. And you have to, you know, this insidious thing called bureaucratic creep, it sort of intrudes on productive time. So you need to be watchful for that and make sure that you don't fall into that trap. Now, there's a reason that when you go into a bookstore, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of books written about time management. The reason there's millions of books about time management is because time management is critical. Now, if you're an entrepreneur, you know, it's hard enough as it is. You know, don't get through your head that you can become an entrepreneur and it's easy. All of a sudden you can work for yourself and everything gets easy. Being an entrepreneur is bloody hard and it's bloody hard work and you have to give up a lot of things for quite a while. So you don't want to be wasting one minute that can be used beneficially. So watch your time and how you use it. 
recapture it, re-leverage it, and I think you'll find you've got hundreds of hours a year where you're actually creating benefit for you and your customers. That was a great question, Ivan. Really appreciate it. And uh, we will send off a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition. No, we won't. I think you told me you had one of those already, okay? We will send you off a copy of Marketing Magic that I wrote with Brian Tracy, Jay Conrad Levinson and Robert Bly a few years ago. I'll sign it for you and we will get that off to you. Now, we here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, we're all about helping small business be more successful, be more profitable. So keep sending us your emails and we'll answer them. If we don't answer them on air, we will certainly respond to you by email, and, uh, but we will definitely get round to answering you. Ron Wilson of Maryland sent this email. Dear Bob, thanks for your program. Your information is so easy to understand. I really enjoy it. I have a plan for my own business, but I, I believe that it's so difficult to start a business in a recession. So should I wait until the economy picks up and everything is running smoothly, or should I leave my job and give it a go? Ron, it's, as I mentioned before, it is always bloody hard to start a business. There's no good time. It doesn't matter whether you start a, your own business in a recession or whether you um, begin when things are great. It's still going to be hard work. You're still going to have to work hard. And uh, actually, most of the country isn't in a recession. Things are going pretty well. But it is a two-speed economy, so depending on what part of the country you're in, and what line of business you're going into, it may be a little bit flat. But um, in most of the country that are in what I would describe as new economies, things are going very well. So it's a good time for you to start your business. There's a lot of consolidation going on now with the big companies. So every time companies merge and consolidate, lots of stuff falls out the bottom. So... Um, it, uh, it, it's probably a good time for you to find a niche. Love, you know, the um, big US companies seem to be in a bit of a state of panic. I think they're um, panicked by rapid change and technology. They're worried about wage costs. And now, of course, with Obamacare, they're worried about healthcare costs, um, more labour laws, more regulations. So... Um, I think it's a good time for you to come in and, and while these companies are floundering a little bit to make your mark. So while they're sitting out and working out how they can um, take their money offshore, how they can avoid taxes, um, how they can avoid um, paying health care, and they're focusing on those things, you can focus on building a business. So, Ron... No good time to build a business. Or the other way of looking at that is it's always good time to build a business. Um, I've only had a couple of jobs in my life. The rest of the time I've been self-employed and an entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, while it's tough, it's a hell of a lot more fun. It does give you a lot of choice. And 
you know, it's nice to be your own boss and be in um, control of your own destiny, providing things are going well. So remember that um, the Bob Pritchard Radio Show is here to help small businesses to succeed. And as I mentioned before, next week we have a new sponsor, the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management. Now, I've been a member for about 10 years and uh, it's been a great help to my career and it's terrific to have AISMM after your name. It, um, people really sit up and take notice. It helps to open doors. So um, I'm looking forward to having them come on board and to become partners in the show. They've been great to me, so I'm looking forward to being able to give something back. So send me in your questions. Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Google+. Make sure you're my contact on LinkedIn. All these things are very important, so be in touch. And if you didn't get my main newsletter and would like to receive the June newsletter, simply go to bobpritchard.com and register, and I'll make sure that you get it. I will, um, I love doing this show. As you know, I've signed on for another year, so it's exciting times. Remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come. Every week, we look forward to seeing you. Same time next week. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.